All right. Baruch Hashem, Yahweh, and Shabbat Shalom. So I'm um, going to take a little break from Ezekiel um, this week. As um, we have Sukkot tomorrow, and I know that a lot of people are traveling here from out of state, and that some of you here today are from out of state, and I just felt really that I just wanted to share from my heart just some experiences in my life, um, like Mario just said before we got started, you know, and um, Paul and and Don, a lot of people want to kind of get to know me more over the next um, few days as we're at Sukkot. And um, I want that as well. There's so much going on, so much planning, and sometimes I'm so harried. I thought this would just be a really good opportunity just to be real, take a pause because of the season that we're in. Because I don't believe that I'm the only one that has struggled and wrestled in my faith to get to the seventh month. And this is a seventh month. You know, we read through the Bible and the Bible is full of agricultural parables. But if we look back at... um, You know, the setting historically, we look at the land and those of you that have been to Israel. And if you've ever been to Israel in the summertime, it is hot, hot, hot. And that time from Shavuot through to the seventh month is a dry, hot, burning time. A time where the land is scorched, the animals are scorched. And um, the desert, just it is a desert. It dries up. And you are literally just waiting and hoping for that seventh month that you're going to be able to endure through the heat, through the fire, through the desert months to get, as the Bible says, to the latter rains. And we've made it. We're here. We're here at the seventh month. That I've made it, that I've endured, because four months ago, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. So I just wanted to share today, and I think I use a good example would be Bereshit. Genesis chapter 32 as a, as a source text for us, and we all know that, of course. Um, because before Shavuot, I felt like I was in the land of Israel. But quite honestly... The past four months, I felt like I've been in Egypt. But then I look at Jacob and I go, well, hang on a minute. Jacob was in the land of Israel. He was in the land with the blessings and things were happening. He was moving and shaking. That's where I was. Things were happening. And then all of a sudden, he had to leave the promised land. He had to go down into Egypt. He ended up being there for 20 years. And it seemed like it was a long, burning, arduous journey. And that's kind of where I've been personally. Because I was in the promised land. Things were happening in my life, moving and shaking. And then, all of a sudden, I I feel like I've been in Egypt. But then the Father showed me, Matthew, just like Jacob, sometimes we all have to go down. Before we can come back up. 
And so that's my testimony. So I have a title, and I know you love my titles. The season of the seventh month. Who am I? Who am I? That's a good question. I'm not sure if I can answer it. I want to share with you, who am I? My struggles and how it has affected my faith. You can turn, if you want, in your text to Genesis, Bereshit, chapter 32. I'm just going to talk to you lightheartedly. It's not a deep study. It's just really giving you an overview of who I am, where the ministry has gone, where we're going, what we've been through, what I've been through, because this is truth. And we have all got the similarities of contending for the faith. So I want to touch on four things today as I go through just uh, kind of sharing with you um, these past few months from Shavuot to Sukkot. Number one, I've had some struggles, not only myself, but Torah to the tribes, struggles, struggles. Number two, it has affected my faith. I'm not immune. And sometimes when you go through struggles, believe me, it's going to affect your faith. How is it going to affect your faith? And number three, once we persevere through the struggles, we contend for our faith, then we can have that blessed hope realized in a renewed vision. Because my people perish for lack of vision. Vision is huge. Vision is huge. And number four, I'm going to sit down again. It's Shabbat, the Sabbath. I get to sit down. We get to sit down. Because the Sabbath and the Sabbaths, and we're going to have a few of them now, the high Sabbaths of the, of the Feast of Tabernacles, these are the blessings that Yahuwah allows us to be partakers of. So I want to talk about who I am, my struggles this year, how it has actually affected my faith, and how I found in all of it, I found new courage because I've had to dig deep. I found new courage and... I've been given a whole new vision for Torah to the tribes that I could never have had before if I hadn't have gone through what I've gone through. So there's been the blessing. Who are we? Who are we? Who are you? Who, who the hell are you? Who are you? How shall we live? And what chapter will we write in the book of life? Because don't we all want to be in the book of life? Genesis, Bereshit chapter 32. Jacob fled. He fled from the land of Israel to escape from Esau. This was a time of Jacob's first trouble. And before we get into Jacob's second trouble, which of course when he was mourning for the death of his beloved son, Joseph, that was his great tribulation. Before we encounter the great tribulation in the last days, all of us are going to go through a lesser tribulation. We're going to go through some struggles. Because it's a test to see how we can do. Eyes off everybody else, eyes on your own personal relationship with the Father and contending with the faith. Because Jacob fled the land of Israel to escape 
from his brother Esau. And sometimes, like I said, I found that by me going down, it's enabled me to come up in a way that I could never have done before. A way that I never could have done before. And Jacob returned only when? Only when he was sufficiently stronger to do what? To conquer the land and conquer Esau. And some, in fact, you've said it and other people have said it. Where have you been, Matthew, the past three or four months? You haven't been very active on social media. You haven't returned my calls. Well, I've kind of had to take a back seat and disappear to enable me to contend in my faith so that I can come out strong. And that's where I'm at now. So that's a very important time because I've gone through a season where I have gone down. I've removed myself out of things for sure for a while, but in order because I knew that I needed to become sufficiently stronger as a man, as a teacher, as a husband, as a father, as a friend, I needed to become sufficiently stronger to enable this ministry of Torah to the tribes to rise up to the next level. Because there were problems. Not only here, but here. I'm not blaming other people, I blame myself. But for me to go forward, one has to become stronger to be able to meet the, cha the challenges and the next season. So like Jacob, yes, my battle has had physical elements. People! Jacob battled with Esau. It was physical. But it's not just the people. Because our war isn't with flesh and blood. It's the principalities. And just like Jacob, yes, my battle has sometimes been with people. But it's got the spiritual attributes that are really behind it. Jacob wrestled with Elohim. He had a spiritual component that was way more of an adversary to him. But he wouldn't let go. Every struggle that I've had, yes, it has a physical aspect to it, people, but there's always an underlying spiritual vein behind it that you have got to address. You can't just look at the people. You've got to address what is behind it. Confronting the man is one thing, but I have to confront the spiritual elements, wrestle with the angel, if you will, confronting the underlying principalities. And that's where I've been, reflecting these past months. Genesis chapter 33, in the ninth verse, it says this. And Esau said, I have a lot. I have a lot. I really do have a lot, my brother. Keep thou what you have for yourself. What did Esau say? He said, I've got a lot, Jacob. And how did Jacob respond? Well, you have to go to the 11th verse. And he said this. Take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought to thee. Remember, Jacob 
is trying to make good with his brother Esau. Because Esau came with 400 princes. So Jacob decides, well, hang on a minute. Let's put the handmaids first and the kids with the handmaids. Let's get them out there. Then we'll put the wife that I'm not so into. She can go next. But I'm going to keep my beloved and my beloved son last. He divided his house. And he sent droves and droves and droves. But there were spaces between the gifts. And there were spaces between the droves. And when Esau saw the gifts that Jacob was bringing him, he said, brother, I've got a lot of stuff. I don't need what you've got because I've got a lot. Contrast that with the brother's heart. Because Jacob, he said, take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought to thee. Because Yahweh hath dealt graciously with Matthew. He has dealt graciously with me because I have enough. I have enough. And I praise Yahweh for that. Because I contrast that with Esau. I don't need to have a lot because I have enough. And he urged him and he took it. What's remarkable here is the difference, if you get it, is the difference between I have a lot and Jacob's I have enough. Esau's I have a lot and Jacob's I have enough. The tension here, if you can catch it in the language, epitomizes the root of human friction. It epitomizes the root of human friction. Jacob had enough, whatever he needed. But Esau spoke arrogantly. I have a lot, much more than what I need, brother. Much more. Do you see the contrast? Esau is thinking in quantitative terms. He's thinking in quantitative terms. In terms of acquisition. He's being competitive. He's rooted in the carnal nature. Materialism. Expansionism. He's not satisfied with his measure. He's always looking to step into more. He's always looking to step into someone else's measure to acquire more. But I have enough. I have enough. So... So who's really wealthy? Who's the rich man here? Who's really wealthy? The one who's content with what he has? A qualitative approach to life. A life expressed in a spiritual-centered view of reality. No matter what happens to them, they're looking at the quality of the life, 
not the quantitative. And that has been something that has enabled me to press in deeply and something I want to share with you. Because Jacob's encounter with Esau and the angel of Yahweh in which he was tested and overcame was a prerequisite. And that's why I'm sharing it right now. It was a pre- When did this happen? Jacob would never have been able to go to Sukkot unless he had wrestled with the angel. It's a prerequisite for this ministry, for myself, to host Torah to the tribe Sukkot, a city on a hill at Kellogg Springs. It was a prerequisite that I had to wrestle, that this whole ministry has had to get on its face and wrestle from Shavuot through to Sukkot. It's a prerequisite before you get to go to Sukkot. Read the Bible. That's the only reason Jacob got to leave and go down to Sukkot in the narrative of the story. Chapter 33, verse 16. So Esau returned that day on his way unto Seir. Where are you going? Where are you going? So Esau returned that day on his way unto Seir, and Jacob journeyed to Sukkot, and he built him a house. And he made booths for his cattle. Therefore, the name of that place is called Sukkot. Are we commencing, brethren, on a journey to build a spiritual home? Sukkot. Or are we going camping to Mount Seir? That's the difference. Are you going to build a spiritual home? That's why we must go to Sukkot. But if you're coming to go camping, you're on your way to Mount Seir. And that's where the goat demons belong. Which is witchcraft. Stay in your measure. These are experiences that I share with you because we've all gone through it together. Which is why we're here and we've made the job. We're at the seventh month. None of you got here without a struggle, without wrestling, without contending with Elohim. But the difference is you and I refuse to let go without the blessing. I'm not letting go. I look, it's looking dark right now. It's looking dry and the sun is beating down and I have got no moisture in my mouth. I've got nothing to say, but I know that I will not let go of Elohim. I will contend for the blessing because I know there's a blessing in this. Going to the Feast of Tabernacles in this seventh month after Yom Kippur is the season when we give an account for our lives. Yes, we all give an account for our lives. Remember us for life, O King who delights in life and writes us in the book of life for your sake, O Yahuwah of life, we pray. Amen. Yom Kippur. 
going into Sukkot. Tomorrow is a time to take the high ideals that we've been studying about all year in the book of Ezekiel and studying about when we've gone into the book of Hebrews and Galatians and actually translate it into simple daily deeds. What's the point in listening to any words that come out of my mouth about the Bible if they remain as high ideals that are never translated into your and mine life? It's pointless. You may as well just turn off the YouTube. If we don't translate it into our daily lives, then we have failed our divine mission. So when bad things happen to good people, and we've all heard that saying, we have to contend and wrestle for the blessing, right? Yahuwah lives in the space that you and I make for him. That's where he lives. Every moment that I set aside in the word, every moment that I set aside in prayer, Every moment that I set aside in fellowship with you is a moment of learning where we all undertake. It's there where we are making space for Yahweh because Yahweh lives in the space we make for him. These are some of the simple lessons that I've learned in this season. Teach us to number our days, says the psalmist, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Isn't that what we all want? So any day on which you and I just do some good for somebody else, well, that was a day that wasn't wasted. That was a good day. That was a good day. We're supposed to be reflecting in this seventh month on what's happened to us. What do we plan to do in this next upcoming year? Think about these things. I want to think about this Hebrew word, mashbear, mashbear, crisis. Mashbear, the Hebrew word for crisis. Now, to reach this seventh month, I've had to go through a crisis. I mean, I'm being honest. Torah to the tribes has gone through a mash bear, a crisis. Getting through that long, dry summer. From the desert heat of Shavuot to Sukkot is sometimes a place of mash bear, crisis. And that's where so many give up. But the Hebrew word for crisis, mash bear, it also means a birthing stool. It also means a birthing stool. Because the, in the Bible, we know that crises are not just opportunities. They are in fact birth pangs. Praise Yahuwah that I knew this back at Shavuot, that crises are in fact nothing more, Matthew, than birth pangs. They're birth pangs. Something new is about to be born out of this mash bear. 
But you will never attain it if you let go of Yahuwah and you get sidetracked with Mount Seir where the goat demons are. No, stay in your measure. Get into this because something amazing is going to come out of it. You now get to really translate your high ideals, Matthew, that you're knowledgeable, excuse me, about, been studying about for years. Now I'm going to test you to see if your faith is authentic or whether you're just another talking head, Matthew. That's what the Father revealed to me. Matthew, this is the time for you to now wrestle with me. That's my testimony. And I'm sharing it with you. Take it or leave it. I can just be honest. Some people like that. Some people don't. But it is what it is, right? Something new is being born. Even in the Chinese, the ideogram for crisis means... Opportunity, even in Chinese. Honestly, this whole Feast of Tabernacles, a city on a hill down at Kellogg Springs, it was birthed out of a bloody crisis. Because nobody else wanted to go to the other place that we chose. It, It was birthed out of a crisis. But it has brought us amazing opportunities for all of us here that are joined with this ministry. Crisis or hard times are meant to remind us of what good times tend to make us forget. Where we came from. Who we are. Do we have inner faith? Do we have inner strength? Why are we here? And what is the purpose of this ministry? That's why. Praise the Father. That is why the hard times are the best times to plant seeds for future growth. I have been very busy planting seeds, meeting with people, making arrangements, making plans to make this ministry so much better for all of you out there. That's my commitment because that is what I have been doing for these past months. Very, very busy, busy boy, but doing the father's business. Because I see these birth pangs and crisis as an opportunity to bless multitudes. And that's the great work. Sowing the seeds for future growth and happiness. Because we all have goals. And through Torah to the tribes, we can realize those goals and make things grow. And what do we grow? A tree which produces leaves for the 12 tribes scattered abroad. You out there and the healing of the nations through our physicians and all of the people that come together with the wealth of spiritual knowledge that Yahweh has imparted upon our guests. The healing of the nations happens at Sukkot, for those that have endured the dry, hot summer spells. 
But the Bible shows us that sometimes one will ratsats. That sounds good, doesn't it? The Bible tells us that sometimes we will ratsats with one another to get the blessing. Ratsats, it's spelled in the Hebrew resh ayin zadi. You find it in Genesis chapter 25 verse 22. That means that sometimes, you know what? You and me, we're going to crack with one another. Sometimes, you know, you're going to bump into me and I might break you. I might bruise you. I might crush you. I might discourage you. But you know what? You need to press deep into your faith not to quit and give up I need to press deep into my faith not to quit and give up because that's what happens when brethren come together when you choose not to stay home but actually risk coming into community with one another sometimes you're going to get bumped bruised crushed what are you going to do with it Pick up your ball and go somewhere else. We've got construction workers, truck drivers, hairdressers, um, all kinds coming in a room together, bumping and knocking one another. What are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about that? This is all the ratsats. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle. Because I have had a struggle. Am I just droning on a little bit? I I mean, this is a break. We get to take a break because we're going to go to Sukkot. And I thought, well, I can do the teaching of Ezekiel today. But this has been a most powerful year for me. Because it hasn't been easy. But I believe the Father has been working in my life, working in the ministries. Life, and I've always said it to people, Torah to the tribes is an organic living entity. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It is a vehicle that Yahweh has blessed, that we get to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. That inspires me. I don't inspire me. I get discouraged. My wife inspires me. And she keeps me going because I'm like, honey, she's like, oh, you, you are anointed. I'm like, really, you think so, really? Shall you go, go keep going? You, okay, okay, honey, okay. But, you know, it's, it's a struggle. And the oldest question, like I said in religion, is why do bad things happen to good people, right? But then I realized, hang on a minute, that's self-pity, Matthew. Because there's two ways of asking that question. The first one is this. And I did happen to ask this first. Yahuwah, why have you done this to me? Why have you done this to me? Never ask that question. Don't ask that question, okay? Because you'll never ever know the answer to that question. Because the question is what? It's self-pity, Matthew. It's why me? Oh, why, why did this happen to me? It's a self-pity, selfish, sinful, lifestyle, selfish nature question. It's the wrong question to ask. And I did ask that. 
And I think I asked it for like three weeks. And then I'm like, hang on, I'm getting no answers in this question that I'm asking the Father. So I ask him another question. Father, seeing that this has happened to me, what do you want me to learn from it? How are you challenging me to grow? And how are you calling me to respond through the ministry that you have entrusted me with? That was the question that I needed to ask. But it didn't come overnight. It came because I wasn't getting answers to my first question. And I was asking with tears and in anger. Asking the second question involves looking forward to the future. And there is where Yahweh wanted me. Because when I was looking back to the past, the Father wasn't speaking to me. I'm just being honest. Because how many of you have prayed and you haven't got an answer back? I know I'm the only one. But I was praying and I was getting no answer back because I was asking the wrong question. But then when I ask the right question, I get the answer back from the Father. Matthew, I do not want you to, to look to the past. You need to be looking to the future. And then I get the answer to my question because... It is looking forward to the future that the Father wants, not back into the past, which I couldn't change. You can't change the past, brother. You can't change the past. The fact that you used to look like a... I've seen those pictures of you on a Harley Davidson. I mean, I've seen you with a mullet. You can never change that. But you don't have a mullet now because you're looking... I'm being facetious, but you understand what I'm saying, right? I have actually seen those pictures of him. They're great. But asking this question, seeing that this has happened to me, what do you want me to do with it now, Yahweh? How do you want me to learn from it? How are you challenging me to grow? And how are you calling on me to respond through the ministry of Torah to the tribes to this present struggle? When I ask that question, the question involved looking to the future, not to the past. And Yahweh answered me. The wrong question was, why did Yahweh do this? That is definitely the wrong question. The right one is, how shall I live my life differently because this has happened? That's the question. And there is the experience that I'm sharing with you today. That's how to deal with the crisis. That's how we deal with crisis. We do what? What do we do? We, we become Jacob. And then we transcend into Israel because we wrestle with it. We refuse to let the crisis go until the crisis actually blesses us. That's my testimony. That's all I'm just sharing it with you. I refuse to let that crisis go. I refused. 
Oh, Matthew, you should do this. Oh, Matt, no, no way. I'm going to the Father, and I know he hasn't heard me for three weeks. But I'm still not going to give up. I've got to phrase this somehow differently in my prayer life. And then when, then when I phrase it differently in my prayer life, then I hear the voice of the Father. And then the crisis turns into a blessing because I wrestle and I refuse to let go of the crisis until it blesses me, until I emerge stronger from that crisis. And in fact, wiser, better, equipped for the future this is truth because I am on fire and I'm an on fire believer and so are you to be an on fire believer means you never let a crisis go to waste you just wrestle with it until it turns to the blessing and then you're no longer Jacob you are Israel you get a name change, which isn't a name change, it's a change of status. Yahweh changed my status, but he didn't just change my status. He has changed the status of Torah to the tribes. It's a change of status. But I can only share this with you today in excitement because I understand it. Because I've now walked through it. So it's easy to you to watch this now and to look and go, oh yeah, well, it sounds like Matthew's got it all. To no, Matthew does not have it all together. There were many tears and many wrong roads turned down and I had to come back. Anger, bitterness, all of those things. Because brethren, just because you wrestle and you don't let go for the blessing doesn't mean that you aren't going to walk away with a limp. And yes, there are battle scars. And yes, it hurts. And yes, you walk away with a limp. You're changed. That's for sure. But that's okay. That's okay. We don't eat of that part of the meat because Jacob walked away as Israel with a limp. Right? That's what happens when you contend for the faith. Sometimes there are battle scars. But you still got the blessing. But you still got the blessing, right? Yes, we're wounded. Yes, I've been wounded. But I have the blessing. And you can have it too. Stay the course. Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Because you and I... Yahweh wants to transcend us from Jacob into Israel. One who struggles with Elohim and with man. And prevails. We struggle with Elohim. But we also have to contend with our fellow man, don't we? We really do. I will not let you go, crisis, until you bless me. I will not let you go, crisis, until you bless me. Within every crisis lies the possibility of a blessing. I know that now like I have never known it before in my life. And my faith is so much stronger now. Isn't that amazing? Events that at the time were painful to me are also those that now hindsight's 2020 in retrospect 
made me grow the most and actually launched me and now this ministry to the next level that we could never have gone to. Isn't that amazing? Crisis has actually forced me to make difficult but necessary decisions. Difficult but necessary decisions. It made me ask things like, well, who am I? What really matters to me? Should I be doing this? What does the Father want from Torah to the tribes? Are we on the right course? Are we supposed to be doing this? Or were we supposed to be doing that? It took me from the surface of ministry to the depths of ministry, where I've discovered strengths that I didn't know I had. It's given me a clarity of purpose for this ministry that I had in the times past lacked due to all the pushing and pulling in other directions that I was never supposed to go. That this ministry was never supposed to go. That the Father never intended that for me. Never intended it for Torah to the tribes. But if we hadn't have gone through the crisis, could never have had that clarity of vision and purpose that I now have for this ministry that you and I get to now be recipients of because we have endured because we haven't let go of the blessing. And I praise Yahweh for you all because it's a witness to me as well. Natsab. What does that mean? Ah, thank you. I love it when people know the Hebrew words. Stand. And if you can still stand then, Natsab. Stand. That's amazing, isn't it? This year... I've learned to say to every single crisis, I will not let you go until you bless me. The struggle wasn't easy. We know Jacob left with a limp. And I left with a limp too. There's battle scars. But Yahweh is with us. Even when it seems that he's against us, he's actually with us. Isn't that amazing? Even in those three weeks when I thought, well, maybe Yahweh's against me. He's not answering my prayers now. Well, it was because I was full of self-pity and asking the wrong question. But the moment I turned it around to the future instead of the past, instead of looking back here and everything that's gone wrong, looking to the future of where I'm supposed to be going... That's when the Father answers me and the streams of revelation come and I get the security that it's okay. This is okay. Weigh it, measure it, and continue on. Battles do leave scars. Jacob left with a limp. But Yahweh is with us. If we refuse to let him go, he refuses to let go of us. Now that, that's our faith. That's my faith. If I refuse to let the Father go, He will never let me go. He gives me the strength to survive. Yahweh gives me the strength to come out stronger. He gives me the strength to come out stronger. I get wiser. I get blessed. Ready for the next season. Along with those people that are now assigned to my future. Looking to the future. 
Isn't that it? Those that are still connected to the blessing that never lost sight. This is my testimony. And it's a small testimony compared to your testimony. And your, but together we have a testimony. It's not what happens to us on which our happiness depends. It depends on how we respond to what happens to us that matters. Because that's all I have control over. My response. My response. And when stuff happens to me that I don't like, I am not going to curse the darkness. I am going to light a menorah and be a light to the nations and a city on a hill. And that's what I chose to be. That's what my wife and I chose to do. That's what we chose to do. To be a light unto the nations and a city on a hill. I'm not going to contend with darkness. I'm not going to curse the darkness. Instead, I go to prayer and I light my menorah. And then the light shines and people come to the light. Isn't that amazing? Praise Yahuwah for his word that is in me, that is in you. Yahuwah guides us through the good times. Yahuwah guides us through the bad times. He gives us an identity. You are Israel. One who contends and wrestles in a crisis and prevails. He gives you a sense of direction. And then that direction is the blessing of going to Sukkot. See, isn't this fabulous? He enables us to come and cope with circumstances of extraordinary difficulty so we can be the overcomers that he desires, returning that testimony to him from whence it did come. That's his testimony that he wants you to have. Are you an overcomer? Well, sometimes you've got to have a crisis to overcome, right? How can you be tested if you're really in a, oh, I'm an overcomer. Well, what, you live in the life of luxury and nothing bad happens to you? How do you know you're an overcomer? It's all mental ascent. Well, here's a crisis. See if you can overcome that. I'll catch you in a few weeks. Right? It's a test. It's a test. The profundity of it. Oh. But, you know, let's talk about my faith. <clears throat> Because you can watch and you can sit and you can, oh, Matthew's got this massively strong faith. Well, yes, sometimes, but not all the time. Do you all the time? We look at one another from the outside and, oh, that, oh, he's so strong. But it affected my faith. It affected my faith. But these are times, aren't they? When the world is going to hell in a handbasket, when we need to have faith, the kind of faith that says, I'm not helpless. I'm not alone. I'm not helpless in this situation. I'm not alone. We have an Elohim that is a participant in our lives. If we will only reach out and struggle and wrestle with him. Faith is the knowledge that we're here for a reason. I believe that. 
And even in the midst of all of the trials, I know that Yahweh has placed me and placed you here for a reason. And that in our journey through life, Yahusha is always with us, lifting us up. Even when we stumble, trip and fall, he's there forgiving us. Even when we fail and we can't forgive ourselves. He believes in me more than I believe in myself. He believes in you more than you believe in yourself. That's the comfort, the blessed hope that we have. And I'm thankful. I truly am thankful for those of you out there and you here today that still believe in me that still believe in Torah to the tribes and didn't give up on me and didn't give up on Torah to the tribes through the crisis. I'm thankful for you. I truly am. I truly am because you contended as well and overcame. You contended as well. It's not easy. And you overcame. In spite of me. In spite of my flaws. And I have many. I'm so thankful for people that still believe in me and still believe in this ministry and what we've been able to accomplish. And it is just the beginning. It's just the beginning. Faith is not about certainty. That's not faith. It's the courage to live in the uncertainty. It's the courage to contend with Yahweh even in the uncertainty. Faith doesn't mean seeing the world as you would like it to be. It means seeing the world exactly as it is. With all of its ugliness and all of the ugliness that sometimes people manifest. You have to see it exactly how it is. That's the reality. Yet, in all of that, you never give up. You never give up the hope that we can make it better by the way that we live. I have no control over what you do, what you do and how you live, but I do have control on how I live. And that's what I can change. I can do acts of graciousness. I can walk in good works. I can forgive people. And I can be generous. I have that control to do those things. And I can make the world better by doing those things. And so can you. Those are acts of my faith. Faith allows me to take risks and face the future without fear. And that's what I've done. I take risks and I face the future without fear. And that enables me to endure. You see? These are all parts of my testimony that I hope to share with you because I think that you've experienced these things as well. And I hope this is, is um, ministering to you. Because all of us have different backgrounds, right? We're not all the same. We all have different backgrounds. Some of us are married. Some of you aren't. Some have children. Some of you don't. But as we go from Yom Kippur and now we enter into Sukkot, it transcends all of that. Whether you're married, single, children, grandchildren, none. Going from Sukkot, going from Yom Kippur into Sukkot, it transcends all of that. Because whether you have descendants or not, your good works are your descendants that reach the next generation. 
That's the reality. Your good works are your descendants that reach the next generation. So regardless of your station in life, you have the opportunity to reach the next generation. Even if your children and grandchildren aren't walking the way that you would want them to and that causes you grief, you have an opportunity still, still to reach the next generation with your good works. Which brings me to this blessed day and I want to sit down again. It's the Sabbath. I love the Sabbath. Don't you love the Sabbath? love the Sabbath. Now, these next two verses, you'll find them in Exodus 31, verse 16, and verse, um, chapter 35 of Exodus, and verse 2. These next two verses, I'll give you the title, um, the, the scripture references, Exodus 31, verse 16, and then the next verse is Exodus 35, verse 2. We're talking about the Sabbath now. I hope you guys are tracking with me. I know I'm just kind of rambling. But these two verses are bookends of something phenomenal. What are they bookends of? What are these two verses bookends of? I kind of already told you. Because we're talking about the Sabbath. And the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath... Exodus 31, verse 16, to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. And then the next time we hear this reference of the Sabbath is Exodus 35, verse 2. Six days shall be done work, but on the seventh day there shall be to you a holy day, a Sabbath of rest unto Yahweh, and whoever doeth any work therein shall be put to death. Bookends. Bookends. And what do you find in the middle? You find the sin of the golden calf. The blessing, the blessing that this day is, the blessing that Sabbath keeping brings. Moshe gave the people a command, the command of Shabbat before and immediately after the golden calf. Why? Why did he do that? Why did Moses give the children of Israel the command of Sabbath immediately before the golden calf and right after the incident of the golden calf. There's a secret here to our Sabbath-keeping piety because Sabbath is the antidote to the golden calf and all of the rebellion within human nature. Sabbath, true Sabbath-keeping, is the antidote to the golden calf and all of human rebellion. It's the day when we stop thinking about the price of things and we start to think about the value of things. So those that are buying and selling on the Sabbath are still thinking about the price of things. We're supposed to stop doing that and focus on the value of things. Things that cannot be purchased. We can't work on the Sabbath. We can't pay for others to work for us. Instead, we spend the day with family, with friends, in community, 
in the word, in prayer. We have our Sabbath broadcast that goes out to the nations. We congregate together in community. We press into Yahuwah. And sometimes, sometimes on the Sabbath, we even ratsats. We bump into one another. We may bruise one another. Sometimes you may crush somebody's little pinky. Sometimes you may rub somebody the wrong way. But guess what? That's what happens when you come into community. Don't just take your ball and go to another pasture. Because guess what? You're at sats with somebody over there too. It might not be the first few months, but it will happen. And then guess what? Are you going to just rat sats your ass right out? Did I say that? Right out of there? I mean, seriously. I did say that, but that's okay. I, I said it with an American accent too. Ass instead of ass. <laughs> But the <laughs> Sorry, crying out loud. That's a rat's ass. <laughs> what the rat's ass are you doing here? <laughs> it is, it is. What was the other thing we said earlier? What was the other thing you said? Oh, yeah. What did you say? That's a bunch of Bolshevik. I love it, I love it. But the feasts and the Sabbaths, in all reality, they're about looking to things that have value, right? That's what the feasts and the Sabbaths are. They're about looking to things that have value, but not a price. Something that our age of acquisition just does not understand, does it? They don't understand value, because everything has a price. I mean, I have a love-hate relationship with my iPhone. I use it primarily as a work tool during the week, and I'm constantly reacting and responding to it. Constantly reacting and responding to immediate pressures that my phone brings upon me. The result is that Matthew tends to focus on what's urgent during the week, not necessarily important. But on the Sabbath, I turn that sucker off. And guess what? Sabbath is Yahweh's market in my life. I rest because I turn my phone off and I shift to the things that are important. They're not urgent, but they're important. That's what Sabbath is about. Focusing on the things that are important and there's nothing urgent. Because urgency distracts from the important things in life. Faith, family, word, prayer, and community. And the connection between family and community, that spiritual community that we have, the bonds of belonging to something bigger than me, the bonds of sharing a global message that's bigger than all of us. That's why Torah to the tribes and the Malkitzetic priesthood is so important to me because I get to be a part of something with other people that is bigger than all of us that will actually reach to the next generation. 
is what we're a part of. A legacy that will last longer than us. Together. Together. Shabbat stops me from doing things. And I like that. It stops me from traveling through life so fast that I never get to enjoy the view. On Shabbat, I get to sit down and enjoy the view. Whether it's joining Mario on the Shabbat group, whether it's others joining the calendar club, all of these things, we get to enjoy the view because we get to focus on Things that are important and not urgent. And I've been touched, truly touched. And my family and I, we have been transformed by a truth greater than myself these past years. Through the book of the covenant and book of the law paradigm shift. It's transformed our lives. I've been able to encounter Yahusha in a way beyond the universe. This message has changed my life and my family's life, not only just your lives, because it's greater than all of us. It's bigger than all of us. It's a living organism. It's the word of Yahweh manifest in our life. Yes, I get to speak and share it, but we're all part of something bigger than ourselves. Torah to the tribes is an organic living entity a ministry that is bigger than us that we get to be a part of that to me is what keeps me going even when there is crisis because i look to the future and i know i will contend and wrestle and struggle for the future blessing and that takes some wisdom and i'm not saying i'm the wisest guy i've made some big mistakes don't laugh that's not funny. My mistakes. Yes, your mistakes. <laughs> but again, you know, wisdom isn't free, brethren. Wisdom isn't free. Yet it's also m the most expensive thing that there is out there because we tend to acquire wisdom through failure, through disappointment, through hurt, and through crisis. That's how sometimes we get wisdom. And that ain't free, is it? It came at a cost. It cost me. It really did. That's why I'm up here today, not doing a teaching as it were, but sharing my thoughts because I hope that today, as we go into Sukkot, I can set the stage and share some of my wisdom with you that has come at great cost to me. Because I hope that I can spare you from paying that price. I would love to be able to spare just one of you from paying the price that I've had to pay. And that is the life that I see of Paul. Paul walked down a, a path and he paid a heavy price for the wisdom that he attained. But when I read the life of Paul, Paul has actually taught me through studying his words that these are the things that I try to share with you now. Right? That's exactly it. Because at first glance, 
the Malkinsetic message can look like a blur. It's like, what is he going on about? At first glance, the Malkinsetic message can look like a blur to what you've unlearned from the church and then learn in the messianic movement until you realize that it's a whole new way of living a halakha a walk the hebrew word there is halakha it's your journey your walk of life the book of the covenant is about translating the highest ideals into the simplest of acts in the simplest of forms that's why i love it it's doable. It's concrete. It's a livable, tangible faith that transcends the pages and becomes a living matrix that can change your life even when there's crisis. Because it's so real, it is a living matrix. And it's touched so many. And the testimonies still come rolling in. The testimonies still come rolling in. Especially as we live in such an uncertain world. And we are in uncertain times, aren't we? There's wars and rumors of wars, as the scripture says. But we've got to keep our eye on the goal in the midst of all of this. To defend a country, what do you need? You've got to have a bloody army, right? To defend a country. But to defend a civilization, a civilization, we need something even better than an army. We need education. And Yahweh is trying to defend the civilization that his people is. Am Israel Chai. You are Israel. Live. And to defend you, Yahweh wants to educate you through his word, which is the Malkitzedic message that we are all a part of. And that's why I want to continue to minister this great message and have you go out and minister this great message wherever you're at. Because that is what changes life. But as Paul says, we can do all these great things, but if we do not have then we are just but a sounding gong, a clanging cymbal. Because that is what all of this is about. It's love. Right? Shabbat and the feasts, for me, are a time where I get challenged to manifest love. What do I mean? You shall love Yahweh your Elohim with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. What we love our children will love, right? They're watching us. What we love, our children will love. What we love, our grandchildren will love. We take the pursuit of Yahweh. We take the pursuit of his commands. And we share them to the next generation through loving him and his ways ourselves. What we love, our children and our grandchildren will love. Because it's about leaving a legacy. And if you have no children or grandchildren, then your good works are your legacy to that next generation. Because the most important legacy that Yahweh wants us to give our children, it's not money. It's not money. It's not possessions. It's spiritual ideals. That's what Yahweh wants us to give the next generation. Spiritual ideals. 
And you've got to be contending with the faith to even grasp those ideals. Our children need values to live by, ideals to aspire to, and an identity as Israel so that they know who they are and they do not get swallowed up by this secular world. They need a spiritual heritage to guide them through the wilderness of this exile that we now live in. And Torah to the tribes and the Malkitzedic message does this. You're part of something greater than yourself. That's why I continue and will always continue to struggle and wrestle in this faith with this ministry because we are growing exponentially even in the midst of crisis even in the midst of crisis we've seen more growth in the past three months than we have in the past three years how is that possible how is that possible it's supernatural I didn't even see it coming because I had my eyes closed, just hanging on for dear life. But I knew I had to hang on. I knew I had to hang on. But there are people out there that are very envious. Very envious. And envy is ugly, isn't it? It comes at great envy from some. But what would you prefer? Would you prefer to be envied? Or admired or would you prefer to be envied or admired because people may envy others for what they earn for the position they may have what they own maybe what they can accomplish but they admire others for what they are and by the principles that they live it is much better to be admired than it is to be envied. So I've learned this past season from Shavuot to where I stand now. I've learned to keep my distance. And that's why people have tried to reach out to me and maybe some of you, I don't know. But I have had to keep my distance because I've learned to keep my distance from those that are seeking honor. I've remained silent. In the midst of change, you see, none of us, not even you, none of us is called to be a looking glass for those that are in love with themselves. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to be a looking glass for somebody who is in love with themselves and just try to reflect off of me. I'm just not. So therefore... I remain silent and I remove myself from the situation because I can't be a part of that envy. I'd much rather be admired. I don't want to be envied. I've learned that humility, it doesn't mean self-abasement. I can't stand false humility. I can't stand that. I'm sorry, and I've seen enough of it. Humility doesn't mean self-abasement. True humility is the ability to see good in others without worrying about your stinking self. That's true humility. 
And let's not confuse, while we're on the subject, let's not confuse righteousness with self-righteousness. They, they sound kind of similar, don't they, in the English language? But they are opposites. The righteous see the good in people, and the self-righteous see the bad. I'm like, people looking at me like, I'm like this bad person. I'm like, you don't even know me. And then I'm like, oh, hang on a minute. Self-righteous. That's it, not righteous. They're only seeing the bad. What about the good? Have you seen what this ministry, what I've been able to accomplish in spite of the fact that I am who I am with all of my character flaws that you're all witnessing? It's a miracle that he uses somebody like you. He says he'll use the foolish of the world. So get used to it, right? I'm, it is what it is, right? Don't come here expecting a Yale University professor. I'm a bumbling fool at times. But guess what? So are you. And Yahweh uses us to put to shame the wisdom of the world. All of us, not just me, all of us. This is an amazing, amazing thing. But don't confuse righteousness with self-righteousness. Because they sound familiar, but they truly are opposites. The righteous see the good in people, and the self-righteous, all they see is the bad in people. The righteous make you feel bigger. The self-righteous make you feel small. The righteous praise, but the self-righteous, they just can't help but criticize. Criticize. The righteous are generous. The self-righteous, they are grudging, judgmental. Well, what are you doing? What, 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 what are you doing? Right? It's a totally different spirit. Once you know the difference, keep far from the self-righteous. Focus on winning the respect of people you respect. And then simply do what I do. Ignore the rest. You have to. If you're going to focus on the future. And people may criticize you for ignoring the rest. But you have to. If you're going to focus on the future. I've learned to be in all of this. I'm just sharing again from my heart. So excuse me if my thoughts are rambling. I'm kind of going long. But you know it has been a hard season. But I feel so excited about tomorrow. And going to the Feast of Tabernacles. But I've learned in all of this. Just to slow down. To be slow to judge others. Because even myself, I can be so quick to judge. But I've learned, you know what? I'm going to be slow to judge others. Even when I have been severely misjudged. And I, I've been brought to tears because I have felt misjudged. I'm like, oh, that is not who I am. How could somebody think that of me? Well... I have to be slow to judge others, even when I have been severely misjudged, which I have, because I know, listen, I know if they're wrong, then Yahweh will judge them. But if I'm wrong, 
Yahweh will judge me. And the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. So I have opted these past months to stay quiet and keep my story to myself. Keep teaching the message that inspires us all. It inspires me because it's bigger than me and it's bigger than you. This ministry is not about Matthew Nolan. This ministry is about Yahusha. I'm a small part of it as you are, but together we're part of a living organism called ministry that can touch the nations and bring those healing leaves to the nations, which is why we are doing so much. And I have been consulting with so many people these past months on getting this feast site ready, getting ready for Passover, getting ready for Shavuot next year, because these are going to be big feastal venues to gather in and bring the healing of the nations. Because I can do my small part, but there are others here, doctors, physicians, laborers, spiritual counselors, all kinds that can help in areas that I am not qualified to help. But when people look to me to do everything, that's when they get disappointed because it's not supposed to be that I'm one leaf on a tree as you are one leaf on the tree. But the feasts and Sabbaths of Yahuwah gather the trees which are people together in one place for a prophetic future. But don't look to the past. That's happened. That's gone. It's all future. It's all future. I don't have much longer, but, you know, I'm kind of enjoying rattling on and not teaching for a bit. Uh, but this has been a season in my life where I have, though, I have witnessed events that have. In the moment, to be honest, they did distress me. I mean, they did. I'm not going to say, oh, no, it didn't. I just like a duck it rolls off my well it does to a, a, a point but you know when you go through stressful situations it does sometimes distress you but the thing is i didn't stay there i didn't get stuck because repentance focuses on the future yes i'm the first to, to admit that i've made mistakes in the past but we all need to avoid getting bogged down in the past because the past leads to depression and despair if you get stuck there the past leads to depression and despair if you get stuck there. Always looking back to the past instead of looking forward to the prophetic future. That's where I'm going. That's where we're going together. I choose to focus on the good and then strengthen it rather than get bogged down in the swamp of sin that is in the past. Right? And you've all been bogged down there before, but now we go to the future, which is prophetic. And we've all seen that people can be careless. They can be cruel. They can be thoughtless. They can be offensive. They can be arrogant. People can be harsh. They can sometimes be destructive, insensitive, and quite honestly, just bloody rude. That's just sometimes how people are. But that's their problem. It's not my problem. It's not your problem. Don't make it your problem. 
I, I'm not going to make it my problem. They can choose to make YouTube videos about me. They can choose to rattle on on Facebook threads about me. And you know what? That's their problem. It's not mine. There's no blessing there. And therefore, they get their reward then, when, in the past and no longer linked to a future blessing. So, that's their problem, not mine. My problem is how do I respond? That's my problem. Not with negative emotions. I don't react. I don't respond. You don't see me responding to any of that stuff online. I simply don't. I don't feel angry. All right then, well if I do, I pause for as long as I need to, as long as it takes for the anger to dissipate, and it dissipates through prayer. And then I choose to carry on with the rest of my life. These are the lessons that I've learned going from Shavuot to Sukkot. I will not, I will not hand others the victory over my own emotional state. I will not hand others a victory over my emotional state. It ain't happening. And my wife is looking at me and like, oh, because she likes to truly, truly understand me. And she said before we came, she said, I'm looking forward to you sharing because then I get to know you even more and connect with you. She does. Because you're always in your head. And I just want to know what you're thinking. I sometimes have to wait for Shabbat, just like everybody else. <laughs> but I forgive. I do. I do forgive. All right, then. Well, if I can't forgive, I ignore. That, that works well for me. If I can't forgive, I ignore. I'm just being honest, okay? Until I come to the place where I can forgive and I'm ready to forgive. But it's not always instantaneous. I am a saint, but I am not floating in the clouds. Right? There's a lot of failures in my life. But don't be afraid of failure. Don't be afraid of failure. You're looking at a failure. Don't be afraid of failure. Really. Not every symphony by Mozart was a masterpiece. He had a bunch of failures. A bunch of failures. You just don't have to, you don't hear about those. Right? And if you lack the courage to fail, then you lack the courage to succeed. You gotta fail sometimes. You gotta fail sometimes. I've made a ton, and my wife's gonna be nodding. I have made a ton of mistakes in my life, but I've learned that no one worth admiring ever succeeded without many failures along the way. And my failures are, in fact, what inspire me 
to go on towards success, learning from my past mistakes, because I do do a lot of self-evaluation. I really do. It's just the way I'm wired. I'm always like tripping out, oh my goodness, and trying to analyze things and reading the word and spiritualizing. And he's laughing because I know he's the same. But I do. It's just the way I am. But that's what the days of awe are supposed to be for all of us, right? We learn to forgive. I mean, this is really, when we forgive others, this is the emotional equivalent of losing excess weight. It's good, right? You want to get that stuff off of you. Life is too short to bear a grudge or seek revenge. Forgiving someone is good for them. But it's way better for me. Way better for me. Bad stuff, it happened. But it was back there. I'm not bringing it along into my future. It's back there. It won't be made better by your mind dwelling on it. Cut it loose. Let it go. Move on. Embrace the future blessings. Cut it loose. And so I do. And I set my hand to the plow. And I don't look back. These are just the lessons I've learned. And I'm not saying that I haven't made mistakes. But I'm not afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to fail. And finally, finally, I found my faith must strive to place love. Love at the heart of my spiritual life. To love Yahuwah, to love my wife back there, who I truly do. To love my children, to love you. Contend with the faith. Love Yahuwah, my neighbor as myself. And I'm to love you and you, the stranger, the weird ones. <laughs> Paul was drawing on this, of course, when he said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and I have not love, I'm just a big, loud, clanging, bloody noise, right? See, it's never too late to change, Matthew. I'm willing to change. I really am. Tamara, don't you think I'm willing to change? You tell them if I'm not. I've always been willing to change. I'm willing to start again and live differently from the way I've done in the past. Yahweh forgives every mistake I've made. Yahweh forgives every mistake you've made so long as we are in Yahusha and we are truly repentant and we can make amends to make it right. Don't give me a bunch of lip service. Don't need it. Make it right. I make it right. We don't need more lip service. And even if there's nothing that we regret, I, I find that really hard to believe. This season that we're in is the season of joy and it should make us think about how to use this upcoming year in a way as to bring blessings to others, the lives of others. How can we help others by the way that they relate to Yahuwah because of all the good gifts that he has bestowed upon us? And I pray, I truly do, that Torah to the tribes can be a vehicle of blessing for all of you. That's our hope here. 
That it will be a vehicle of blessing for all of you. Remember Yahweh and his presence. That's what we want. Because without, all, without his presence, all of this is for nothing. And we need those clouds just to circle us around the mountain, don't we? Because where Yahweh's clouds are, that was the sukkah. I'm going to tie this into Sukkot. How about that? All of this back into Sukkot. There was, <laughs> there was the Sukkot on the mountain. Exodus 19 verse 16. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and thick clouds up on the mount. But then Israel built the golden calf. And when they built the golden calf, what happened? Those clouds departed. The presence of Yahweh departed. The sukkah of Yahweh departed. And when did those clouds reappear? Look to your Bibles. When did they reappear? They were there at the mount. Then the children of Israel got into their own sinful, selfish lifestyle. And the clouds departed as they built the golden calf. And only after they'd been forgiven at Yom Kippur, so the sukkah, which is what the clouds were, right? A sukkah symbolizes the repentance of us. The sukkah, sukkot, is there for those that have gone through the season wrestled with Elohim and come to repentance because the sukkah is all about rejoining Yahweh after you've fallen and stumbled in sin and he brings back his enveloping clouds all around you and gathers you into the sukkah at Sukkot, Yahweh's covering. This year, as we go to Kellogg Springs, that city on a hill, let Sukkot be a place of Yahweh's covering and forgiveness for all of you. Because this is truly the purpose of Sukkot after Yom Kippur. It's not about going camping because that is Mount Seir where the goat demons are. Yahweh has something more. He has his presence. But the only way you can get that is if you never let go in the first place. And you're staying in the future where the blessing is. Never looking back to the past because you can't change that. These are my stories because it's been a struggle. And this Sukkot was birthed out of crisis. But here we are. We're here. And I praise Yahweh for that. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right.